Welcome to the Herd is Calling podcast, where we explore the wisdom of the horse and how you can become a purpose-driven equestrian. I'm Josh Williams, who with my wife, Victoria, are your hosts for this podcast. We are the creators of My Horse Journey, a holistic horsemanship coaching program and virtual community. On this show, we'll share insights and stories from our own journey, as well as interviews with incredible horse people, equine therapists, horse advocates, equine assisted service providers, and more. Our goal is to inspire and empower you to understand and connect with horses in ways that are truly transformative. To learn more about our community and programs, visit us at myhorsejourney.com. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Let's get to the episode. Welcome to the Herd is Calling podcast. Today, we are really excited and honored to have Chrissy Stout with us. I'm going to read just a brief bio to help everybody get to know her a little bit better before we bring her on. Chrissy Stout was born and raised in Australia, hailing from a long line of horse people with deep ties to farming, ranching, and rural living. She is currently the program director at Haku Baldwin Center in Hawaii, a nonprofit providing equine assisted services to youth and adults with diverse needs. Chrissy is a PATH International Certified Therapeutic Riding Instructor, a PATH International Mentor, and a Horse-Powered Reading Facilitator. She is a Region 11 Ambassador for PATH International and was recognized as the Region's Credentialed Professional of the Year in 2022. Chrissy also owns Teaching Aids for EAS, a company specializing in adaptive visual aids to improve communication and enhance instruction inside and outside the arena. She is passionate about creating a culture of mindful and compassionate horsemanship and empowering the next generation of equine professionals. Wow. Welcome, Chrissy. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's so fun to be here with you both. Really happy to have you. It's exciting. We've had a chance to get to know Chrissy over the last couple of months because she was in our program and it was really a treat to have her there because she added so many great aphorisms and sayings that we ended up adapting into the program and that the whole group started using. I really felt like we were learning as much from Chrissy as she was from us. And we're excited to be able to share you a little bit with the rest of the world now. Exactly. Thank you. Mutual Admiration Society. I learned so much from you both over the last couple months and it's been, it's been amazing. It has really, it has really changed the way I teach, which is really cool. Nice. Fascinating. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure we'll come back to that. I'd love to learn more about that. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Either. <laughs> yeah, teaser. Like, yeah, um, teaser. I wonder if you could start by just telling us a little bit about what your horse life is like these days, maybe like a yeah. snapshot of a typical day for you. Sure. So I work at Haku Baldwin Center in, in Hawaii on the island of Maui, and I'm at the barn several days a week. I love to get there first thing in the morning before every, anyone else does. We have a team of very enthusiastic volunteers. So sometimes they get there before me or sometimes we're driving up at the same time. Uh, but when I get at the, to the barn, I'm usually setting out the schedule that has uh, staff, volunteer, horse assignments, the lesson schedule, any tack and equipment we need. And then sometimes I'm bringing horses in, sometimes volunteers are bringing them in. Sometimes I'm setting up the arena, getting out tack adapting and adjusting the tack as needed for each participant for that day. 
sometimes I'm going over lesson plans for other instructors if they're the ones teaching, whether they're in training or they just need another set of eyes or ears on their plan for the day. And then we launch into lessons. They could be mounted or unmounted, private or group, adults or youth, veterans or civilians. And then we have our awesome lessons and we wrap up, clean up and head out. Sometimes I also have the privilege of schooling horses, which is where like my personal horse time comes in. I don't have horses of my own. So all the program horses I treat like <laughs> my own sometimes. They're all a part of the family. We call our, our horses our equine co-workers because mm. we treat them with the same respect that we want to treat people with. So yeah, that's a good day is when I get to the barn early and it just sets me up for success. Whether I'm there for the whole day or just a few hours. So mm. yeah, snapshot. Sounds lovely. Yeah. For those who don't know, I like to set the stage a little bit just for like where you are. Chrissy is on Maui and the Haku Baldwin Center is in upcountry Maui. And I'm I'm guessing you can probably see the ocean Mm -hmm. from like probably everywhere you stand. (laughs) See, I actually didn't realize that until you just said that. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that the Hawaiian islands are the top of giant volcanoes. So Mm -hmm. when you're, when you say up country, it means you're just up a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I had exaggerated it previously said you're at like 3000 feet, but you corrected me and said it was 1500 feet (laughs) off of sea level. Mm -hmm. Uh, But from seafloor, that's some like, what 26,000 feet or something up the volcano mm-hmm. they're the biggest volcanoes in the world measured from seafloor so when you're up there you have this vantage point looking back out at the ocean and it's a really beautiful place beautiful climate uh, there's these purple trees flowering trees everywhere um mm-hmm. it, it's a really amazing place so it, it's pretty stunning. We have, I think pe- most people think of Hawaii as beaches and palm trees, but we also have countryside. We have our centers on 33 acres. We have green rolling hills and vistas and views. And if you don't have a coastal view or a mountain view, you just drive down the road a little bit. <laughs> and then you, you can see we're usually very aware of where the ocean is and where the mountain is you know, Malka or Makai, we use that as directionally, mm. north, south, east, west, whatever. Malka, Makai, you just need to know where the ocean is and where the mountain is and you're good. Wow. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's helpful. Yeah. What type of populations are you really working with and helping at the Haku Baldwin Center? Yeah, as, as you know, Josh, I know you have some experience on Maui as well. We are kind of in the middle of the Pacific. And that means that we are kind of a melting pot of all different types of cultures and people. And we at Haku Baldwin Center, we have a program for military veterans, uh, which is mounted and unmounted depending on the participants needs and what we have available to offer. And we also have a youth program, which occasionally we have adults in that program as well. Uh, Those that population may have Uh, physical, cognitive, emotional, social disabilities and abilities and challenges. And uh, we focus on what each person needs specifically and then pair them up with the horses, the instructors, the volunteers that they need to excel. Hmm. Okay. 
Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, we're going to, I want to circle back to that more because I know we've had some really interesting conversations about language mm -hmm. that I want to highlight more, but I want to keep talking about Chrissy first before we, before we go down that road too much. So we'll just put a, maybe put a pin in that for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But why were you first drawn to horses? Well, this is interesting. I had a really interesting conversation with my mom yesterday. And I said, Mom, I'm going on a podcast. Can you tell me who I am? So, oh, interesting. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Good strategy. And she, right? Because your mom knows. So she and what, but what I started with, which caught her off guard a little bit, was interviewing her first and getting her story. Because, you know, we know that our, the generations before us are part of our story as well. So she uh, came from a long line of, we, we call them farming in Australia, but in the U.S. it would be called ranching. So a long line of ranchers. And she was telling me about beautiful experiences she had as a child. She had lots of older brothers in this ranching family, and they would bring the cows in. Her brothers would go off galloping. And she said, I would just do like a lovely soft canter. They had the privilege of having all these well-trained horses. So she's like, I just got to canter. I just squeeze gently and then we're off. So she, and she told me that she knew the sleeping patterns of the cows. She knew where they like to sleep, how they like to sleep. She would go out first thing in the morning while they were still a little sleepy and gently guide them and bring them in. And she's like, my brothers would just go out like full ball. The cows were all stressed. Yeah. <laughs> they would get the job. They would all get the job done. But she did it in a way that was compassionate and lovely and not even intentionally. That's just the way she liked it. And she she just knew so much about uh, these animals. And it was just beautiful to hear a little bit more about her perspective, which was awesome. She also told me that <laughs> I did not like horses when I was a kid. <laughs> I was not the kid who took lots of lessons or did 4-H. I was not, I don't have the same experience that a lot of my uh, co-workers have. I was the kid who wanted to sit in the shade and read books while other people were riding. So my two sisters, I have an older and younger sister, and they were very much into horses. We had the luxury of having lots of animals where we lived there's a picture of my older sister as an infant sitting on a horse and then that was it for her she's just mm. still hooked and my mom said they put me on a horse and i was just like mm -mm. <laughs> nope nope at two years old i was very clear that i did not want to be on top of the horse so and then when i was about eight well i was still around horses and we had horses and i always thought they were beautiful and interesting i just was not compelled like my sisters were so when I was eight, I contracted a rare condition that led to a physical disability. So at eight years old, I couldn't ride even if I wanted to. So that kind of further drew me away from horses. When I came to Maui, I found a volunteer opportunity that included horses. And I figured I could probably learn how to be around them again. And then all these years later, I'm still at that same place teaching other people how to be around horses too. So... My mom was very, she was still, she's still very surprised that I'm the child of the three of her children that got certified and is now mm. teaching ride horses. Wow. What a story. Yeah. Nobody would guess that you're from Australia by listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> the accent <laughs> comes and goes. When I 
talked to my mom yesterday, it just, it, it comes right back in. It does. Oh, that's fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Don't study me too closely though. (laughs) That's interesting. It's still in there. Really good at accents and mimicking people. I think I just spent so much time observing as a kid because I couldn't participate in a lot of things. And I just watched people and I listened to people and the accents have just always been really easy for me. And it just Mm. goes back and forth without too much effort. Well, if you hang out with us much more, you'll start getting some Oregon drawl. It's a little slow. We say awesome a lot. This is the only two things I know for sure. My sister is from Southern California and Mm -hmm. she's always saying these things where I'm like, what? Like, you know, she's like, you guys are just on a different time frame. You guys just... Well, we know it takes most people 15 minutes to get there. We're, we're giving you guys 30 minutes. Like, it's just like this thing. That sounds like um, Maui time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah. We're with you in Hawaii. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. I wonder, and this is totally off topic, sort of, do you do any impressions just based on your ability to observe people? I and- reserve the right to refuse to answer that question. Okay, nice. <laughs> later, later okay. maybe. Duly yes. noted. Well, not like celebrities, just people I know. Got it. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's fascinating that you, you have this awareness of your ability or the skill that you acquired in observing Mm -hmm. people and being able to assimilate those observations and make meaning from them. I gotta wonder if that's what your special gift talent is with horses too, because that is so much of it. I think so much of what we teach, what we talk about is just the ability to observe and to read body language and understand what's going on based on just watching. (laughs) Would you expound on that? Yeah. Horses are 100% body language and they observe us and what i'm learning from you guys as well they are observing us every second especially every second that we ask them to join us in our space so yeah i think we're doing ourselves and our horses a disservice if we're not taking the time to slow down and notice them and observe them and then if we are in the position of teaching others like the three of us are, it's important to impart that knowledge and create that space for people to have the joy of observing horses. And we learn so much about ourselves when we slow down and do that too. So yes, definitely. I think it's a skill that can be learned and honed for sure. It sounds like you had that. That's interesting. They call what we call ranches, farms, Mm -hmm in Australia too. That was interesting, mm-hmm. but it, it sounds like you have some generational history around animals. Sounds like your mom was very attuned and sensitive. Mm-hmm. It's something I learned because I grew up in central Oregon, which is like rancher area. And it's mm-hmm. very, very kind of the macho rodeo centric, like, in fact, most ranchers around here now use four wheelers to round up cattle. Very few actually even use horses. When I started learning from Victoria, her background was in rain cow horse work. And she 
really explains that the best way to work in cattle is as quietly and as softly as possible because you don't want to stress the animal. Not only is that great for just being kind and empathetic to the animal, but it's very practical too. You don't want to add stress. You don't want them to lose weight and burn extra calories. There's like a lot of really specific reasons for that. So it sounds like your your mom was a real natural cowgirl for lack of better words and yeah, she was before her time, for sure. When you're talking, I, it made me think of Temple Grandin and her efforts to really change the face of the cattle industry in particular and how animals are handled in the, especially in the last days and moments of their lives. It's super important. Every day is important for mm -hmm. us to have this compassionate lens for horses. And, you know, when we think about horses and stress, it's really important to know the signs of a stressed horse and how they can all be so different. Like we are blessed with lots of draft horses at the barn and quarter horses and a Morgan and thoroughbreds. And they're all so individual and then you know breed specific draft horses can be really introverted and their like level five stress is another horse's you know level 12. so learning what each horse needs is so important and doing what we can like really really assessing what we're doing every single moment from when we're walking out to the pasture so when we're walking them back to the pasture at the end of the day or the end of their lesson time and reducing the amount of stress that they have to take on, the unnecessary stress. There are so many things that we do with and around horses that we don't know are stressful for them. And taking a wider lens and looking at how we can change our processes you know, the number of people that are handling horses, which is huge when you're talking about a therapeutic riding center mm -hmm. in particular, when you have people coming in to feed and sometimes those people are different every day. Sometimes there's multiple people cleaning stalls, turning in, uh, turning out, bringing back in, uh, grooming, horse leading, tacking up, sidewalkers, riders, parents, participants, instructors, like those horses are getting so much feedback and they're having to tolerate and accept so much from the humans around them and things touching them tack adaptive tack balls flying over their heads like all kinds of things that we we try to desensitize horses to but they never lose those they never lose their nervous system that that doesn't change they never lose their all of the instincts that they need to survive those never change no matter how much we try to assimilate them into what we're doing and we can have horses do all of the things that we love for them to do to especially in the in a healing practice we can still do all those things and do our best to reduce as much stress as possible and you know pay attention to all of the human things we do that are really unnecessary and detrimental in some cases super important. Yeah. Just the confusion I see sometimes between humans. I mean, that's a big one. It's just like this lack of clarity mm -hmm. that is happening between horse and human and back and forth, you know, vice versa, that that's where things start to get usually can, for lack of better words, just can be scary mm -hmm. can be deflating. <clears throat> and yeah, just what you're talking about 
with the sensory overload that we tend to put on horses on a daily and, and those kind of programs, you know, we ran a kid's program that, that was cranking all the time, the assisted learning stuff, the therapy stuff, all of that stuff asked so much of the horses. Then on top of it, just taking into account that we know horses have such a sensitive, they're so much sensitive, more sensitive than we can ever Mm -hmm. even imagine. To me, that is just like, let's just dig into that. And in that, when we start unpacking all of that and working with that information, I think, boof, that's where things can get really good. Yeah. And the, the more you notice, the more you notice that you need to notice. Mm. <laughs> yes. That makes sense. It's, you know, horse people know the more, you know, the more, you know, you don't know about horses. There's always an opportunity to learn more, <clears throat> learn from different people, be open-minded, be okay with being wrong and trying again, all of that stuff. Yeah. Horses are just fantastic at allowing us to do so many things that we want to do with them. Well, in your, you know, when you mentioned that you kind of just were a natural born observer or you, or, and probably both, and you had a lot of opportunity to cultivate that talent or that skill, uh, just through your personality and this, and, and your life experience and all the kind of, kind of organic things that go into that. Yeah, I mean, just you are uniquely positioned to put that lens into your horsemanship practice, which I think is very cool. Yeah, and even something that I learned from my horse journey from both of you is just one example of an exercise. It's silent and half speed. And so that like Josh, you were talking about earlier about how uh, animals respond to silence. They don't need all the noise that we make around them. They don't need us on our phones. They don't need us having a side conversation. They don't need us filling the space with talking because we are nervous or, you know, whatever the reason may be. So we, uh, we have been implementing in our pre-lesson grooming and post-lesson grooming silent and half speed, which is pretty challenging for all used to talking. And as an instructor, I talk a lot. So, so I am right there with everyone, you know, reminding ourselves to, to slow down and only talk when we need to, when we're getting stuff ready. I also created, especially in our veterans program where community building is so important and we want participants to, you know, build relationships with each other and build relationships with instructors in the arena or wherever we're having our sessions I created a space for talking people and then a space for (laughs) silence around horses. So which worked, it's like, yeah, if you want to come have a chat, let's walk over here, which was a space away from horses, but where I could still see everything happening, but where the talking people were standing. And so that's the silent part. The half speed part is just slowing down. So that could be, it's just slowing down your movement, slowing down your thinking, slowing down your breathing. And the amazing thing is that immediately the horses relaxed more. Like we took, we take some pride in how relaxed and calm our horses are, but they relaxed even more. They just like sunk in and like, finally the humans are breathing. (laughs) 
quiet. This is great. Some of them fell asleep on the cross ties, which we don't love them to do. We want them to still be paying attention to their surroundings, but it was amazing. And we, I had one veteran come up to me and say the following week, she said, I told my therapist about this. And my therapist was like, do more of that. Do more mindfulness. So we, you know, making sure before you and approach the horse, we check what's happening inside our body. We do some deep breathing. We wait for the horse to connect with us before we approach them, which is kind of like them giving consent before we touch them or ask anything of them. And then we silently and slowly halter them, bring them in, groom them, get them ready for their lesson. Sometimes grooming is the lesson. It's amazing what we can observe when we slow down and what we realize we're missing the information that horses are giving us. When we're talking, when we're rushing, we're missing signals. We're missing information that the horse is communicating to us, which is, it's just this beautiful space to be in when we are watching the horses. They're communicating with their bodies all the time. They're watching what we're doing with our bodies all the time. And even if we're not talking, our bodies can be exuding so much energy so being aware of your body language when you're doing slow and half speed can be so awesome too. So just one example of how, uh, like a practical example of how we can implement, because some of these are concepts that everyone's like, yeah, sure, that sounds great, but how do I do that? Or I thought I was already doing that. Right, <laughs> right. an example of how to do that better. So it's an incredible experience to slow down more and notice more. Beautifully said. That's, yeah, we, you know, we talk a lot about how horses have their own language and culture. Mm -hmm. And I think it's safe to say that that language and culture doesn't include human words. And, and generally speaking, it's at a much slower pace, you know, not, not to say they can, they're also very fast and can react very fast, but I think being in a slow, calm state is so critical for them to feel safe and to feel secure. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, or actually first I wanted to say too, that like your, your attitude of learning and like you said, the more we know, the more we don't know, we agree with that a hundred percent. A lot of times in the horse world, that isn't necessarily the vibe. I think there's some guarding, there's some lack of vulnerability happening, you know, whatever it is, posturing, et cetera, et cetera. And something that we really appreciated about you was you brought that concept of beginner's mind to what you do. Like when you showed up to our calls, you're, you're obviously an expert in your own right. You're the director of program. You work with people every day, but you came every day with like a notepad and just like ready to learn, ready to learn. And, and we feel that way too. Every time we come with the horse, it's like we, we feel we're students of the horse, yeah. not experts of the horse. And, and that just opens up the possibilities. You know, that's why beginner's mind is, is one of our primary manifestos. But I was curious too, because you have a community-based program, you want people to come there and be able to connect because that's very important for healing and, and, uh, and wellness. And I wonder if you've noticed the silent half speed actually improves that, even though during that time, you're not able to talk to each other, but do you find like more visualizing after that people connecting more deeply, maybe later? Absolutely, because their heart rates are dropping and their nervous systems are cycling back down. 
-hmm. So when we're in that space, we are more open, we're uh, less anxious, we are able to notice things more, we're more in tune with our own body, we can communicate better with the horses, the horses have also cycled back down and their nervous systems are in check. When we do all of that as staff and volunteers, like we're setting the participants up for success as well. Because when they arrive, we all want to be in a state that's like starting from scratch, resetting, starting from zero. And yeah, I definitely think it's beneficial for building community, building better relationships between horses and people. Our volunteer team is incredible and they have so much compassion and empathy for horses in our program. And I know they take it very seriously and when we you know i always say when we know better we do better so mm. sometimes it's really hard to have those realizations that you know you were contributing to a horse's anxiety or activation so we just you know every day is a new opportunity to reset and every day is a new opportunity to make those connections that like horses need to be connected they live in herds. They need to be connected. They can connect with us if we're in a space that is conducive to <laughs> connecting and noticing them and being compassionate. Yeah, it's it's imperative for building community. It's almost as if the things that help us be better with horses help us be better with life. <laughs> yeah, it's annoying like that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If we're yeah. we're better at humaning, we're better at horsing. <laughs> it's a loop. It's one of those infinity yeah. loops or like a Venn diagram. It's it's all the but fortunately I think those of us that are particularly awkward humaning, you can work <laughs> on your skills with horses. You don't have to start with the humaning. You can go, I'm going to work on my horse skills first, and then automatically your humaning will improve. Yeah, and a lot of people who come to us, I mean, we all have those things to some degree, but people who come to us with, you know, that's a characteristic of their diagnosis, you know, the way that they move through life, they might have uh, trouble connecting or communicating. And then you have, you introduce a horse into the picture, and there's just all of this intrinsic mm. motivation that they have that there's nothing that you could do in a classroom or in a clinical setting that can replicate that unless you put a horse in a room and then it's really incredible. I just keep coming back to saying words like incredible and awesome and something like that. So, <laughs> we hear you. Yeah. I mean yeah. you're speaking yeah. our language. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, totally yeah. awesome. Brad. Yeah. <laughs> but I am thinking about heart coherence. Oh, yeah. When, mm -hmm. when you're talking about just everybody's nervous systems, getting back mm -hmm. to regulation, back to homeostasis or into that healthy cycle, that natural cycle. And then the heart coherence thing where then everybody's beating off of everybody else in mm -hmm. a really good way. And, and that's connection. I mean, I think that's the, when we say magic, when we say awesome, when we say, incredible there there is some stuff we're learning some science that we're learning that is like physiologically energetically there are things happening interspecies wise with our nervous system that really is this recipe for connection and when folks that you know seek services and 
have sought services for healing or growth or, you know, any kind of assistance, <clears throat> figuring out what their next move is or how to relate to people better or how to learn about themselves a little bit more. Horses just are this being that can offer that, I think, because of that awesome potential for connection that mm -hmm. is like immediate if you're able to plug in, you know, on that nervous system level. It's just like, boom, now we're connected. What, what can you show me about myself? But it's something that is real and it's why equine mm -hmm. therapy is so effective. Yes. Yeah. And effective. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and equine assisted learning. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I, I just think we're going to continue to learn the why of that, but we know it's a thing. Yeah. I mean, there's science. <laughs> when we don't have the science to describe those feelings, and sometimes even if we do, we call, we say things like awesome and magical because we all feel it, you know, and the horses feel it. And they give us immediate feedback, immediate 100% honest feedback every second we're with them. And it has so much potential to challenge us. And then it's the challenge piece through that challenge. And on the mm -hmm. other side of the challenge is trust and accomplishment and confidence. And it's, we also get to like be around horses and smell them and touch them and, and watch them. And it's just such a rich experience that encompasses all of the senses. And even for people who struggle with sensory overload, just being in the space with the horses can help and co-regulating can help with sensory regulation. Mm -hmm. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's so magical. It's awesome. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All There's of those things. Research and science out there too. If anyone's interested, just Google it. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. I wonder just like, this magical path, this awesome ability of horses. Like, what about you? What specifically, what, I mean, I know you said you had an opportunity there and you were thinking, but I'd like to, you kind of went over that a little quick. I wonder if we could dig down a little deeper, maybe, maybe go down a few yeah, layers. Yeah, what drew you to where you're at now? So I, when I was talking to my mom, we both <laughs> agreed that I... I always wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a preschool teacher. I was a nerdy little bookworm kid and I always related to the librarian. I would go and sharpen pencils for the librarian. And I always related to the teachers so well because I, I was just fascinated with the way they communicated new information. It was just so interesting to me. And not just the information, but the way they communicated it, the way they were, now I know that they were lesson planning, which is what I do. <laughs> uh, but I, at the time it was just like, they're just so amazing and creative. And I, when I came back, I didn't know that I was getting into this like realm of teaching and instructing people. I just wanted to, I saw this opportunity to volunteer with kids and I'm like, cool volunteer with kids. I had another couple of volunteer opportunities that I did when I first got to Maui. And they, interestingly, they were like Toys for Tots. I was selecting and packaging uh, Christmas presents for kiddos, but there were no kids around. It was just me in the warehouse wrapping presents for kids. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to cut it. 
thought I was going to be with children and working with children. So when I uh, saw this opportunity at the barn, I'm like, I think I could know, learn how to be around horses again. And I discovered that I really, what I really wanted to do was teach. And what I've also discovered in the last five or five to seven years is that I also love to teach adults, which I didn't think that I did <laughs> to do. Our veterans program started uh, in 2013 and I, it took me a little while to figure out that I, that's something that I wanted to move into. And I, what I learned is that horsemanship is teachable to anyone. Being around horses can teach us so much and you can teach anyone the skills that they need to be around horses because all you have to do is just be a present human. Right. All you have to do. So that's that's what drew me in and I'm still there 14 years later at the same barn. And I just I was just hooked from the first day. This is what these people are doing here is incredible. There are times where they had too many volunteers in the the program director at the time would call me and she'd say, you know, we don't really need people today. You can take a day off. I'm like, well, can I just come sweep? <laughs> well, can be there. You can come in and sweep. I never wanted it to end. I always wanted to be in the vicinity. And then when I found out that I could actually become an instructor, that was really cool. What did that look like when the opportunity to become an instructor came up and your journey into PATH International? How did that all unfold? Well, when I first started, there weren't PATH certified instructors at our center. The assistant director at the time, somehow she could tell that I might have a talent for teaching. And she just, in a lesson, is just like, you're going to teach this part of the lesson. What? And just slowly, she kept getting me to come in and teach instead of being a sidewalker or a horse leader. And, and that developed a little bit. And, and the program director and assistant director retired. And another person came in who was already a pretty accomplished riding instructor. She did dressage and Western and all the things. So those two positions were opened and we became director and assistant director. And then we decided uh, that we would take our team of four instructors and get us all certified, which is quite the feat to do that in a remote location because it requires a lot of mentorship and getting a lot of hours in. And it used to also require, uh, so the evaluation portion, it was a live evaluation. We flew evaluators in from the U.S. mainland and it used to require a writing test so the instructor would have to do a writing test to show they had writing skills in order to be able to teach those skills and then there was a teaching test teaching uh, a group of writers with disabilities to see that you could actually incorporate goals into lessons and teach a lesson you really have to know your skills if you're breaking them down and doing a task analysis so of course i looked at that and thought well as a non-writer i don't know if i could do that so that's pretty disappointing and then I found out because PATH International is an organization that is passionate about adapting services so people can enjoy horses and have joy and healing around horses, there was an accommodation that I could apply for. So my accommodation was to teach another rider through that uh, warm up, the walk truck, canter lesson and the cool down as if I were riding. So interestingly, well, 
Interestingly, I passed, which was shocking to me. I remember crying in front of the two evaluators in our, our private debrief when they tell everyone if they passed or not. And I just looked at them and said, really? Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure that I passed that writing test? And they said, absolutely. Absolutely, you did. So I passed the writing test. And then I, I passed the teaching test with a little bit better scores uh, than the writing test. And it was just, it changed my life that I could do something, that I could learn to teach something I was only able to observe and not feel. And as instructors, we know that one of the most, diff as writing instructors in particular, one of the most difficult things is teaching feel. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a concept. And so you, you can't feel it while you're teaching it, but sometimes you can. So I found that I could feel it and see it and then see it and feel it and was able to somehow figure out how to teach it, how to get uh, certified to teach walk truck kenner lessons to able-bodied adults. Wow. So I'm still not sure how I did that. It took a couple years for, for us to really put in all of the work and make sure we were dotting the I's and crossing the T's. So we, interestingly, also, now the certification involves not writing. So the, the actually, the test is teaching an able-bodied person through a walk truck counter test. So the accommodation that I did years ago is actually the, uh, the test now, which means that I have a perspective that I can give people that I'm mentoring, like, yes, you can do it because I did it. <laughs> I did it. You can absolutely do it. So that's been an, an interesting twist in the past certification that that was kind of thrilling for me because I, I can help people even more through that part of the test. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. And congratulations on that. That is a massive accomplishment. Yeah, we. It, it was a game changer. <laughs> the team of instructors who they have all left me now. Uh, we have a have a new team, but those other three instructors we called ourselves the pod because mm. we we had to be so connected and have study groups and all of those things in order to pass this really hard uh, certification. So three of us went in the week or two after we went and did like a two day backpacking trip with a few other people through and josh you know haleakala pretty well so we went into the crater or more mm. correctly the erosional depression uh and hiked all the way to paliku i am was not an hiker <laughs> before that i did some pretty intense training beforehand mostly on my treadmill inside my house in order to make that happen and because of my physical disability is another thing i'm just like there's no way i could do that but I had mentors in friends, in my friend group, in my instructor group that, that had all the experience and said, well, I know that you can, so mm. let's go do it. <laughs> so uh, I'd never been backpacking before. So, you know, why not go do the hardest hike on Maui? And yeah, there were moments where I, while I was doing it, I was just like, there's no way I'm going to, they're going to have to bring a helicopter in and lift me out of here because there's no way I could finish it. Like, you know, you have, I had new hiking boots, which was a terrible mistake. Blisters on my feet, like muscles so sore. And, but there's just this mode that you get into sometimes where you're, you just get in the zone and you just go. And you, I don't know if it's embodiment or disembodiment at that point, maybe <laughs> back and forth. And I, there's a point where you're at the, 
if you do the loop starting at the visitor center and end up going up switchbacks, so we did that loop, and you're st standing at the, the bottom of this huge cliff, and the only way up is a series of switchbacks because it is so steep. And I thought, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. No, that night when we're sleeping in the tent, I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to start walking out of here. I'm just going to leave a note and I'm going to leave. And then I'm going to use my phone to call a helicopter and <laughs> be over. So, and I, it, we did it through lots of emotions. I did it. One of my new friends who I hadn't met before this backpacking trip, she was literally pushing me up because some of the steps are really the incline of the steps are really steep. So she was, there were points where she had to push my backpack up to help me get up the steps. And it was just like this team effort of physical and emotional support that we all got through it. And so that on top of the week or two before getting the certification, it just, that changed my life. So 2017 was a huge, incredible year for me. <laughs> It was an incredible year. That's so beautiful is to see what you're capable of in moments like that. And then yeah. to see what it far exceeds what you thought was possible. And just, I hear just the theme too is community, connection with mm -hmm. people, friendship, network, whatever you want, partners, whatever pods, <laughs> whatever <laughs> you want to call them. Mm -hmm. uh, boy, we can't do it without that. We can't do the things mm -hmm. that that kind of surprise us about ourselves without that support. Thank you for joining us on the Herd is Calling podcast. Remember, you can learn more about our programs and our community at myhorsejourney.com. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. That would help us tremendously. We appreciate you listening. And as always, may the horse be with you.